Hey, it's Anita, and this is the Anita Posh Show. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Anita Posh Show, where it is my pleasure to keep you up to date with topics around Bitcoin on a global stage and the local impact it has on people like you and me. My guest today is Sherman Foschengier. Sherman is the author of the book Token Economy. I have it here. And she's also the founder of Blockchain Hub Berlin and the Token Kitchen. And as always, you can listen to this episode in your favorite podcast player or you can watch it on YouTube. Please hit the subscribe button now to be informed about new episodes that are coming up. And now, a short word from my sponsors and then on to the show. Enjoy. Many people worry about the right storage for their Bitcoin. And yes, holding them isn't always easy. Smartphones get lost, hard drives can crash, and online wallets get hacked frequently. The safest way of storing cryptocurrencies long-term is offline in a physical way. That's why Coinfinity developed the Card Wallet, the professional and easy cold storage solution. The Card Wallet supports various security features such as high-quality materials and tamper-proof features which prevent the manipulation of the card and make it a safe place for your beloved coins. Get yourself a Card Wallet now. You will get 20% off if you order at cardwallet.com slash Anita. That's cardwallet.com slash Anita. Do you want to stay up to date with the things that happen in Bitcoin from my point of view? Then subscribe to Anita's Weekly, my newsletter with articles, videos, quotes, short tips on how to use Bitcoin and all that for free. Subscribe to Anita's Weekly at anita.link slash weekly. Hello, Sherman. Welcome to my podcast. I'm glad you're back. Yes, hi. Thanks for inviting me. It's the second time that you're on. The first time, I think, was in November, October 2018 or something like that. And yes. um, I was very glad uh, and I'm back again glad to have you on because you were the one you, you brought me into Bitcoin in a way because I was listening to your talk uh, in 2017. And then I realized, mm -hmm. wow. That's it. That That's what I'm interested in. And you did such a good job also in explaining uh, the basics, what's a blockchain and, and what what can uh, Web 3.0 and the decentralized web do um, for humanity, basically. So you had also this focus on the social impact. So I'm very glad to hear. I didn't know back then that... Uh Uh, my talk was your gateway drug to this world. So <laughs> this is really good to hear. Yes. Yes. So, but my listeners don't know you, so please introduce yourself. Um, yeah. Uh, um, my name is Shermin. I 
I got uh, I started the Bitcoin uh, the block Bitcoin the blockchain hub in 2015 in Berlin um, and uh, this uh, back then there was little information on the internet about uh, Bitcoin and blockchain for laymen um, for people outside the uh, crypto space um, or, or outside the tech space. And uh, I created this educational platform around uh, blockchain, Web3 and uh, potential, not only the technology, but also its applications. And then a few years ago, I got the opportunity to start a research institute in Vienna at the Vienna University of Economics and uh, the Research Institute for Crypto Economics. We did interdisciplinary research on the technology and its applications. And I wrote the book Token Economy uh, two years ago. Uh, uh, it's been... This one? <laughs> the I yeah, it. this is... The <laughs> That's true. This is the first edition. I think I sent this to you. Mm -hmm. um, a second edition, amended edition with its additional chapters came out last year. And uh, I'm very, uh, so, and I put the book online a few, two months ago um, because a lot of people couldn't buy it or afford to buy it in certain countries. Uh, so I put it on GitHub for free and uh, it's now being translated by voluntaries into uh, nine different languages. So that's, um, that's quite amazing. I was very surprised by the amount of people and enthusiasm uh, to translate this book. Um, and in this book, I describe uh, the Web3 fundamentals, starting Bitcoin, blockchain, but also other technologies in the decentralized web, uh, and smart contracts, DAOs. But then I focus on tokens uh, as the kind of killer application of this Web3. And the first token was Bitcoin. <laughs> but there are so many other tokens we can create uh, uh, with blockchain networks. And um, I'm sorry, I, there is some noise in my background. <laughs> uh, I didn't. Uh, it's okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and um, yes, so uh, and uh, Currently, apart from writing my next book, which will focus on tokenized use cases of what I call purpose-driven tokens, tokens that steer networks such as Bitcoin, but also that you can use to incentivize CO2 emission reduction. Uh, so I'm focusing on the specific kind of token engineering that focuses on the economic incentive design, the mechanism design of tokens uh, but not only of steering networks like blockchain networks, but other kind of DAOs with different purposes. Uh, these could be educational purposes, sustainability purposes, etc. So this is what I'm doing now. And uh, my company is called Token Kitchen. Or it's a research institute and applied. Uh, we do uh, research projects on uh, token economics. And uh, we uh, also do a lot of education around this topic okay great so now you uh said a lot of terms that i think many people don't know maybe we can okay. start with uh explaining the basics because you just said uh bitcoin is also a token can you explain uh the basic differences so what is a token and why is bitcoin also a token I don't know why Bitcoin. Bitcoin was the first <laughs> token. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so uh, most people use the word in the in the mainstream media. People use the word cryptocurrency. I don't specifically like this word because it limits 
the possibilities of the Web3 or of blockchain networks to uh, one aspect of what a token can represent, right? Um, uh, and a token can represent a currency, but also many other things. So for those people who are native uh, English speakers, a token is not a new word, right? Uh, so tokens in the English language could represent any type of asset token, uh, but also uh, existing computing for managing uh, access rights. Uh, tokens have been used to incentivize and reward uh, actions. Um, uh, if we think of kind of uh, uh, reward bonus points and reward miles in, in aviation, they're, they're like coupons or tokens to incentivize um, consumption of a specific uh, um, uh, services, goods and services. Um, and uh, so you get these tokens if you do something in the system or in the network. If you fly with a certain airlines, you get airline tokens, uh, like the, and they're called bonus points, but they're tokens, right? Um, and tokens were also or have been used for, for, for decades, if not longer, to incentivize uh, to kind of in behavioral sciences, uh, in psychology to um, to incentivize uh, um, behavioral change. Um, uh, for example, in the 60s, there were experiments of incentivizing psychiatric uh, patients to um, to to modify their behavior, and they would get like kind of tokens uh, that they could use in the in the hospital for certain you know privileged uh, services in the hospital, like better food or TV room access, etc. And um, so, tokens are not a new thing. Um, um, you know, they're used in casinos, etc. The jetons. Um, uh, for 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 using the public transport, uh, what what the Web three, what blockchain networks allow us to do, and it all started with Bitcoin, was to have a digital representation. It's uh, kind of for um, uh, for managing all these things. So a cryptographic token or a Web three token is basically a rights management tool. Right. And uh, it's collectively that token, the management of all the tokens, whether it's Bitcoin tokens or Ethereum tokens or specific DeFi tokens or uh, even uh, identity or credential tokens. Um, the, uh, these tokens are collectively managed by public infrastructure, uh, such as a blockchain network or other distributed ledger. Uh, it could be the Bitcoin network or the Ethereum network, where we all collectively manage of who owns which tokens and when, and who sent which tokens to whom, right? We manage that together, but the application is the token. These tokens can represent something that is very similar to money, like Bitcoin or Ethereum, uh, a, a kind of an asset that is um, fungible, that uh, where each kind of unit of a Bitcoin equals another unit of Bitcoin. Um, that's a very important uh, property of money. Um, so we can use it as a medium of exchange. But tokens can also be used to represent many other things. And in the first maybe 10 years of crypto or five years of crypto, it was all about cryptocurrencies uh, sending uh, or with Bitcoin, it was really to create a peer-to-peer -peer electronic cash, right? That was the uh, the aim. 
to create electronic money that is reliable that we can use without banks. But very soon, actually, it didn't take long until people said, what if we could represent any type of asset with you piggybacking a Bitcoin token? And then we had like... Um, um, initiatives like Colored Coins or MasterCoin, they try to use the Bitcoin infrastructure and the Bitcoin token and give uh, more functionalities to the tokens, add properties to that token so that a Bitcoin token could represent, for example, a commodity or maybe um, um, a piece of real estate, etc. So um, that was back in maybe 2013, uh, 12, 13, uh, 14, when Colored Coins and MasterCoin uh, tried to um, uh, create other more uh, other tokens with more uh, unique properties or uh, uh, things that were different to electronic cash. Uh, to manage those things with the public infrastructure. And it was actually, from what I understand, uh, Vitalik uh, Buterin, um, who who was also kind of uh, engaged in some of these uh, projects, from what I understand. And he had the idea, he came up with an alternative idea to not use the Bitcoin blockchain uh, or the Bitcoin network, um, but uh, to create a kind of more flexible infrastructure that allows you to create any type of token with a simple application, with a simple smart contract that can have very easily be programmable to have a range of different properties. And um, maybe this is also one of the reasons because Ethereum became very popular. And it really became with the ERC token standard, it became that uh, this is a token standard that the Ethereum network created uh, that makes it easy to program, uh, uh, to issue tokens with a few lines of code. Um, it was probably because of that, that uh, the colored coins and master coins initiatives uh, didn't take traction, have traction anymore. But this idea of, of managing other tokens than currency tokens uh, with a public blockchain infrastructure is quite old. It's nothing new. And this NFT hype that we have at the moment, people saying like NFTs, NFTs, um, they're focusing very much on the art world because uh, we've had some very popular cases right now. But really any token that has more properties uh, than an ERC-20 token or a Bitcoin token, right? Uh, 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 more properties than unit of value <laughs> um, uh, is ba basically a non-fungible token. Uh, um, uh, I mean, yeah, uh, or a, a token that has more properties and sometimes they can be uh, have uh, limited or uh, fungibility or uh, be completely non-fungible. Yes, completely unique. Uh, yeah. Okay, before we get into the... Yeah? What, did you yeah. want to... Okay. Before we get yeah. into... <laughs> There's so many things to say. I'm sorry. I like kind of yeah, lose can... track of what I said and, and yeah, okay. what I is didn't there, say. Yeah. Is yeah. there something that you wanted But, to add? No, I think just to... Tokens are basically a rights management tool. We can use them to represent any kind of property right, access right, management right, or voting right, right? And depending on how we program these tokens. And tokens with uh, simple behavior would be 
money tokens, currency tokens like Bitcoin or Ethereum or uh, uh, Tether, yeah, uh, or a central bank digital currency. It's the new thing, right? Central banks issuing their own tokens that are settled on a distributed ledger. Um, these are very simple tokens. Uh, but we can uh, add properties to these tokens so they can uh, uh, represent unique assets like um, a piece of real estate. And uh, real estate like an apartment with 50 square meters is unique and different to an apartment with 80 square meters. And even two apartments with 50 square meters are different if they're one in the, in the first floor to the, uh, uh, if it is on the third floor. So these unique properties of location, uh, um, um, uh, of size, uh, amount of rooms, what, whatever, uh, make kind of the digital representation of a piece of real estate, um, you need more properties to, to add to that token, right? Um, and we could use tokens to represent art. We could use tokens to manage uh, access rights um, for the sharing economy, et cetera, et cetera. We could use tokens to uh, and allow us to vote uh, vote uh, for national elections, but or or, or vote for uh, how the DAOs or the Bitcoin network should be upgraded, right? And uh, tokens can can combine all these functions of being an asset, but also allowing you to vote in the network. And we see that in the Bitcoin network, in the Ethereum network, uh, they don't only represent assets, but they also represent voting rights when uh, the Bitcoin token um, uh, 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 can represent uh, or certain tokens can represent voting rights uh, when it comes to hard forks, for example. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, but uh, in, for a layperson, I can um, imagine a token is basically... Yes, um, uh, my my access right to a property or uh, some kind of good yes. or a currency or yes. whatever a value, and uh, and I as a it can user, be a value. Mm -hmm. It doesn't have to be a token. Is basically uh, tokens can also only represent voting rights. They can be tied mm -hmm. to your identity. So and 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 thank you for this because I think uh, the current media is focusing on and even uh, uh, in the crypto world we're focusing too much on on asset tokens whether their money represents something like money or some non fungible token with more unique properties like like is being hyped right now but tokens can really be used to to uh, to for complex voting rights access rights management and for that we need identity systems and so I think what we also need to talk about is that through the back door of creating peer to peer electronic cash uh, the bitcoin network not only created a giant settlement machine, yeah, this blockchain network, uh, but it, uh, in order to have a trustful kind of settlement of tokens, uh, they needed an identity system based on public-private key cryptography. And uh, but the type of identification in the Bitcoin network is based on anonymity, right? If we have uh, decentralized um, identities that uh, can be tied to real-world uh, 
people, we can uh, use um, the Web3 for creating much more complex access right tokens and voting tokens, identifying ourselves without needing to, to, to have our data managed by um, by companies like uh, Facebook or our institutions where we're really uh, kind of uh, the owners uh, of our data or the sovereigns of our data. So there's this whole self-sovereign identity movement in the Web3. Um, and once we have, there are many standards being developed right now based on decentralized identifiers, DIDs, uh, but also other standards like Carry. Uh, that's based on gossip protocols where people are trying to come up with standards that would be useful to have um, tokens that are tied to uh, identities, kind of attribute tokens like certificates, uh, for example, COVID certificate, a university certificate that is tied to my identity can be tokenized, a driver's license can be without a national authority managing my data everything is managed by my wallet and it's mm -hmm. settled by public infrastructure like a blockchain network and other web3 protocols but everything is open so it's an open blockchain network and not a closed one it depends on the uh, uh, so <laughs> <laughs> we can build tokens. It depends on mm -hmm. who builds the token, on what mm -hmm. kind of infrastructure. So I'm a big fan of Bitcoin because it really opened this world, this new world, uh, this new way of collectively managing data and by to incentivize people who contribute to keep the network safe. And um, this really opened uh, uh, a door to a completely new world, a completely new type of internet. Uh, but today we have not only the Bitcoin network, which is a very has been very stable and very reliable for so many years, but we have other blockchain networks or other distributed ledgers that are maybe not blockchain networks. Uh, some of them are public, others are private. You can create tokens on any type of these networks. Um, so I think when we talk about this new token economy, very often we mix the application layer with the settlement layer, with the infrastructure. So if you decide to de create, design a token, uh, an access right token or an asset token, you can do that on the Ethereum network, but do that also on the Bitcoin private distributed ledger. The question is a question of philosophy, probably. <laughs> Which type of network do you prefer? Do you do you um, do you um, um, do you want to um, use? So, but sometimes it could also be a pragmatic question of regulation. Certain in certain industries, certain use cases are highly regulated that might prohibit you using public infrastructure. Um, uh, but uh, um, uh, or you might want to use a public infrastructure to get more traction, right? But the question of, or depending on the type of use case, um, um, if you need more um, um, uh, transaction throughput, etc., you might prefer one blockchain network to the other or one distributed ledger to the other. Um, but uh, in general, the question of how to design, like what type of token you want to create and how to design this uh, is not necessarily related um, to 
which blockchain network you use for the settlement of these tokens. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So now you spoke about Ethereum before, that it was the first yes. uh, blockchain that enabled smart contracts and uh, the issuing of tokens. But now there yes. are many, many, many more of that kind. Um, which are the most interesting from your perspective? I mean, I, 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 you know, I just heard, I mean, I read from Polkadot mm -hmm. and Cardano. Are those, what are the, the differences in between those? Because I know the difference okay. to Bitcoin, yeah. the Bitcoin blockchain, but not yeah. what are the differences there? Okay, um, this is a tricky question because yeah. oh, now we're getting into crypto politics, yeah, <laughs> and crypto mm, religion yeah. nah. <laughs> a little bit. Um, um, I, I, I wouldn't. So um, the the smart the the blockchain networks that are public and have smart contract capabilities. Uh, you're right. There are uh, in the over the last four or five years, many others have emerged. Uh, Cardano, uh, but before. Um, um, uh, many others uh, that uh, uh, that try to be more scalable, that try to be uh, maybe uh, also have better governance um, and uh, or um, other types of governance rules. I mean, especially after the DAO hack in 2016 and the hard fork. Um, uh, this community saw that governance actually is an issue and I, I forgot the name <laughs> I shouldn't there was a, or there is this uh, blockchain network that that tried to have better governance tools but then they had they raised a lot of money and then they actually had other issues um so um Tezos yeah so Tezos is definitely a good Uh, they had some good value proposition, but then they have some management issues, let's say. Uh, Cardano seems to have, seems claims to have the better technology. Uh, it escapes my mind why the claim is valid, but uh, I, I must say that um, I haven't spent enough time to, to, to dedicate uh, a study of that. Um, Polkadot is a bit different um, because Yeah, they started out uh, with an inter-blockchain um, uh, um, kind of uh, interoper interoperability protocol and doing many, much more things now. Um, I do think that even though there are many other standards and blockchain networks out there, still Ethereum has the biggest traction. Probably because at the moment, because they uh, were early adopter, uh, they're the first movers in the space, uh, and they started to build a big developer community, but also because they started to go corporate quite fast. So having uh, the corporate uh, kind of uh, version or blockchain uh, Ethereum solutions, um, it's hard for me to say. I, and I think... My focus, I'm probably the wrong person to ask this question because I'm not a blockchain infrastructure specialist. My focus is more on what can we do in this token economy and the design of the types uh, identifying token use cases, 
Uh, and uh, my focus is on the type of purpose-driven token, token that steer networks, uh, uh, kind of uh, that allow you to create collective infrastructure uh, by incentivizing the individual. And I, I try to um, identify the economic mechanisms that would be necessary to incentivize kind of uh, collective action towards uh, a specific purpose, whether it's uh, to, you know, because designing... You could use tokens to steer social media networks, um, like like Steemit. Steemit is a decentralized social media network uh, that has a pro, uh, its own blockchain system, but and it incentivizes uh, posting of um, content in the social media network and the curation of content in the social media network. And I, in my work, I focus on how to properly design these kind of incentive tokens that in but yeah so is steemit so probably is yes steemit still a thing steemit is uh i don't think a thing anymore uh <laughs> but we don't have a much better alternative so steemit stopped being a thing uh, and and this is exactly why i'm doing what i'm doing because steemit had a very good idea they said um like social media should be collectively is collectively managed But the data is owned by the companies like Facebook and Twitter who kind of provide the, the, the platforms for social media. So what Steemit tried to do a few years ago, um, five, six years ago, when they started, they created their own blockchain infrastructure that, that because back then Ethereum didn't still exist. So they created their own a very scalable blockchain infrastructure. Um, and uh, then they created this decentralized application on top of the Steemit blockchain network uh, called uh, the Steam blockchain network called Steemit. And then they had three different types of token. They had the blockchain token, then they had the application token, and then they had the stable token because back then there were no nobody, the concept of stable tokens didn't exist yet. Um, and But their main token, their reputation token in the network, Steam Power, was poorly designed. And even though they were the first movers and they had more than a million active users uh, at the peak, and I, I personally know people who use Steemit and, and like uh, posted a lot on Steemit and they could pay part of their rent or their whole rent with the income they had uh, with Steam tokens. But Steemit um, had a design flaw because the token, the reputation token that you could earn when you posted good content and when you curated good content uh, was not tied to your identity. You could buy it and sell it on the market. And uh, the, the design of the token was the provision that Like if you have more steam power, the reputation token, and you like somebody's post, that person will get more tokens because you have more power in the network, right? Uh, but uh, because you could buy the reputation tokens with outside money, um, and you could buy and sell your reputation, and you could delegate it to trading bots, right, who would then develop algorithms to optimize powering like liking of content not based on real quality but based on income optimization uh, this created a lot of inequalities in the system where the like uh, like a few users in the system had uh, like less than 10% had more than 90% of the tokens and uh, late adopters to the system had no chance of making any real money anymore Um, so, um, and then 
because of other things that happened in the network. Uh, uh, um, uh, that's too complex uh, to deep dive into, but I, I described it actually in my book. There's a whole chapter on Steemit for those who would like to read it. And um, there was this uh, kind of uh, fork of the Steemit network for political reasons. So there was a secession and uh, uh, some uh, some core developers and users uh, and miners uh, forked into uh, the Hive network. So yeah, Steemit is not really a thing anymore, but what they try to do is a thing. So the question we, we have to ask ourselves is like, okay, their value proposition that's valid, but how do we need to design an, a social media token in a meaningful way so that it's persistent and sustainable that people are incentivized long-term to contribute with valuable content and valuable curation to the network. That they didn't resolve, but they started the whole thing. And for that, they merit the credit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. My, my feeling is that um, we are so early that all those projects are basically learning by doing. So we learn exactly. from their failures. Yeah. So that's what's exactly. innovation. So, yeah. But that's exactly. So this is the natural innovation cycle. So I, I like to talk about Steemit, not because I think it's uh, a best practice. <laughs> and and all, uh, it's already a kind of, I think, a dead project. Not really dead, dead, but yeah, it's not. Like it lose, lost momentum big time, let's say, um, to be very neutral. Um But I like to talk about Steemit because it's a very good use case of what we can do, like a very good use case for this future tokenized economy, a very good use case to understand how, how social networks can be DAOs, right, and can be collectively managed, uh, not by Silicon Valley companies, but by a network of independent actors. And when a company tries to take over, And because this is what happened, actually, uh, before the secession, why did uh, the Steemit network um, uh, split into Hive? Because the original founders sold their company and their company had the founding tokens and they were dormant. But in, in theory, you could use the founding uh, tokens to uh, for voting. Um, kind of, uh, they were governance tokens also. So uh, when the new people... Um, the new investors took over uh, and, and bought this company, Steemit Inc., with all these founding tokens. Uh, the, um, um, they were called, referred to as ninja tokens in the, in, in, uh, within the network. Um, all of a sudden, the stakeholders in the network, from the miners to the users, they were scared that the new owners, because they were running uh, this whole thing like a like a Web2 startup, right? Uh, they would use their founding tokens to um, to to run a centralized government of, of the Steemit network. And this is when the secession happened. This is why they forked. Um, and um, so if you look at this, and this happened exactly a year ago, so I think Steemit uh, is very interesting use case for two reasons. A, for token, poor token design, Uh, so it was already kind of losing traction before the secession. But when uh, when the founders sold their initial tokens um, or the company with the initial tokens, you saw the whole governance issues in decentralized networks. You can't run a decentralized network like a centralized company. And if you try to do that or if people 
assume that you will try to do that, as was the case with the uh, uh, before the, uh, the the hard fork, steam at hard uh, the what was it um, high hard fork. Um, people assumed that this new owner would run a centralized government because of things he had been saying on social media. And to avoid this, they, they, they forked and they split away. And when you split the network, it becomes less powerful. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. um, so secession is the thing in the, in, in the decentralized kind of web. Uh, you can, um, in public networks and open source networks, you can, you can, you know, you can, um, you can create your own chain anytime you can split away, but you need to understand that when you do that, uh, uh, even if a lot of like, like 50% of the network joins you, you're still only 50% of the network. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, so, and this uh, opens a lot of very interesting questions around governance, uh, crypto governance or like, and you know, uh, in the end, we do need to deal with politics also in crypto. Um, it's And uh, like blockchain networks are only a technology that allow us to do things in a different way and to maybe cut down on some bureaucracy, but it will not eliminate the need of people with different needs trying to come to the, you know, uh, reach uh, uh, common ground of in which direction they want to run. And then it's always politics. Yeah. And we see politics in the Bitcoin network. We see politics between the networks and we see politics in the Steemit network. There's politics all over. So trying to uh, have trustless trust and let the code do everything. um, No, it's never going to happen. Yeah, it won't work, I guess. And uh, (laughs) I mean, we and I guess we all also need a kind of um, like politics around how we don't um, uh, develop the decentralized web as a surveillance machine. I mean, because that's, yes, that's, uh, yeah, yeah. I, that's also a very good um, point. Uh, but we already have many um, Bitcoin forks, and including Bitcoin the Bitcoin network that are looking into alternative or that are using alternative cryptographic tools to have more privacy by design. Uh, Monero was one of the first, if not the first networks. Um, um, uh, Zcash uh, uh, and uh, and many, many other networks that are using, uh, uh, you know, um, yes, alternative cryptographic tools that allow us to uh, have have obfuscated transactions or obfuscate the transaction data uh, or have some level of privacy by design. So we're still figuring these things out. Uh, that's, But this is not a token question, right? So mm-hmm. as we're oscillating here between, I mean, it is also a token question because for certain, so uh, what we need to learn is that there is no com- full privacy and full transparency, both have downsides, right? For example, let's go back to the Steemit example, right? Because I like the Steemit example because it's not a cryptocurrency example. It's a social media network. Everybody understands that, right? So 
So great, we had these people who said, let's create a type of Facebook Reddit that is run by public infrastructure. So nobody owns our data. But what happened is because of the uh, the type of cryptography that um, um, that the Steam, Steam network used, it was uh, yeah, similar, uh, if not the same, uh, to the Bitcoin network. Um, all the transactions were public. The good thing about that is that anyone can run big data on the transaction, you know, on the public, like kind of the block explorer. Um, uh, the transaction data is available to everyone. So anyone can create big data applications. And, and they created cool applications based on uh, the data on the, uh, of the Steam blockchain, uh, useful applications for the Steamit community. Uh, but the bad thing was that um, uh, once uh, if you have, once it can be uh, tied to your identity, now everything is visible to everyone, right? So the question definitely in, in, in future blockchain, uh, social media, blockchain-based social media applications, um, you, what type of privacy do we want? And we can resolve these things with, with using the right kind of cryptographic tools that allow us to have trust while uh, also giving some privacy. Um, this is happening. Yeah, already. So, you and it's a very important mm -hmm. question. Mm -hmm. You mentioned before that we can't use centralized uh, solutions or ideas for decentralized systems. I uh, heard a similar thing uh, the last days um, about uh, regulation of, of, of decentralized finance. And on the other hand, uh, you hear or we hear from the Bank of International Settlements and from the uh, FATF that they want to like crack down on us and like track all transactions uh, above 100 uh, US dollars. Um, This is not new. Yeah. Yeah. They've been doing that in banking world. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And they want to do exactly the same now in the in the crypto mm -hmm. world. Uh, and how does this affect uh, decentralized finance? Um, yes, it will. Uh, yes, government governments are going to try to or going not only to try, they're going to regulate. Because DeFi is also finance and uh Most people would say there are good reasons to regulate as invest investors' protection. If you see what is happening around these flash attacks, etc., I mean, people are being uh, milked by uh, savvy people in the system. Um, so a regulation is going to happen. Decentralized doesn't mean that it's not going to be regulated. I don't even understand this logic. So, A, I don't like the word decentralized. Maybe we should start with this. Um, the word decentralized is a very highly it's inflationary. It's been used in an inflationary way. And it's very. It's not even to the point. I I think that very often when we use the word centralized, we want to say different things. So blockchain networks allow us to have sovereignty over our assets, right? So asset sovereignty is a better word than decentralized. So. Um, Blockchain networks allow us to collectively manage a public infrastructure. Yeah? So this is collective management. You can call it decentralization, but decentralization, it's a 
anti-word. We have centralization and we don't want to be decentralized anymore, but it's not specific, you know? No. So what blockchain networks allow us to do is to have sovereignty over our assets, to collectively manage a public infrastructure like a peer-to-peer payment network or a peer to, like Bitcoin or peer-to-peer computing network like Ethereum, right? Um, and uh, uh, and uh, and not only collectively manage, but also co-govern these networks. So I can have a say in how the the governance rules should be upgraded when there are uh, kind of um, code um, protocol improvement proposals. I can vote over. Am I for it or am I against it? So, um, so it, it it allows me to be part of it. So it allows to be democratic, like have to say in 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 how the system is going to develop. Um, but yeah, decentralization. But it doesn't mean that governments are not going to re- try and regulate it. But obviously, um, if a, one government tries to regulate an international thing, they're always going to fail. Because uh, regulation is only going to be uh, successful probably when there's enough on an international level. Otherwise, you can flee into different jurisdictions, right? Uh, But yeah, we will see more regulation of DeFi. I don't think necessarily it's a bad thing um, because uh, uh, we also need more transparency. Uh, But regulation can be... Uh, difficult, uh, but uh, all this KYC AML anyhow for me is difficult because for me personally, from my point of view, this is now a personal political point of view. Um, we've had like our privacies invaded through KYC and AML for for decades now, and nobody's talking about that uh, in Europe and in America. We're quick to bash countries like China that they have surveillance states, and nobody's talking about what is happening in Europe, in America, um, and uh, uh, through the back door of KYC AML requirements. So I have also a subchapter in my privacy tokens. Uh, chapter in in my book if you're interested in that so yeah regulation will happen but uh defi will persist i think defi is also maybe not a word it's it's not decentralized finance it's web3 finance you know Mm -hmm. it's where i can use uh, what somebody once referred to it as money labels you know i can fractionalize components and put them together like like Legos, and I, I like the analogy of money Legos much more than the term DeFi. Um, it it just makes uh, finds more um, flexible and theor- on the on a theoretic level more inclusive. Uh, practically, it's only people who are very good at math and uh, at coding because the usability of these DeFi tools is not quite there yet. But um, in the long term, it can be become more inclusive than the financial sector. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But it will still be regulated. Yeah. Yeah. And you also, in your book, you also speak about the fact that uh, the real economy and financial markets uh, will merge. So everything will become a mm-hmm. crypto market. Um, what do you mean by that? How, what, yeah, what's the idea behind that? Okay. So today we, like, if you have a class in economics, you learn that, you know, 
we have the money markets, and then we have the financial markets, and then we have the real economy, right? But when you can, now that we see that we can tokenize everything, like we can use a cryptographic token that is collectively managed, you know, to represent something that is similar to money, but then we can also use it to something that is like an asset, a commodity, uh, like like oil or, you know, but we can use a token also to represent uh, an asset that is very unique, like a piece of art or a specific real estate. And then we can fractionalize it. And now we can have, I can use fractional tokens instead of going to a bank to raise money, you know, to get a credit to 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 buy an apartment. I could, if regulators are on board and this the regulation uh, regulator framework is there, I could use you know fractionalized uh, uh, parts of my apartment and issue uh, co ownership tokens. And uh, um, with these uh, smart contracts, uh, these token contracts, um, uh, pay co owners partial rent without allowing them, but they won't have voting rights over when to sell my apartment because I want to live there, right? I don't want them to tell me uh, when to move out, but I they can invest into my apartment and get fractional rent for their fractional investment into my apartment. And I can settle this with tokens. And so as we're tokenizing everything in the real economy, what is the real economy and what is money? You know, because if I can in the future, we're not, you know, right now we don't have multi-token wallets yet so many. But if in the future we have even better wallet usability and we can manage 300 different token types in our wallets, then I can. It doesn't matter whether I pay my bill with Bitcoin or with Ether or with the U.S. dollar token, you know or maybe an Apple token or an apartment token or a fractional Picasso because the algorithm knows what it's worth. And the only thing I have to worry about is, you know, what is my Verrechnungswährung, we say in German. It's like, what's my unit of account? Do I want to do my accounting in my uh, in my head with uh, with euros or with Apple tokens? You know, if I prefer to do my accounting with Apple tokens, I can do it. You know, nowadays people are doing more and more accounting in their head with uh, Bitcoin or Ether. Uh, because more and more people are using Bitcoin and Ether for payments. Um, uh, or maybe... Maybe not so much Bitcoin and Ether, but the stable coins like DAI, you know, I know more and more people who are using DAI and more and more things that are starting to be denominated in DAI or other stable tokens. So, yes. And and so what is the difference between money and an asset? Right. And so I think this is why I said that in the future, the, the concept of money, finance and the real economy will merge because anything that is transferable and not tied, any token that is transferable and not tied to my identity can become money. Hmm. So we like a fractional Picasso token. Uh, if it's not, you know, if I can transfer it and trade it on the money, I can use it like money. And this is what we call uh, bankable funds. You know, uh, it's not money, but I can liquidate it quite easily in a bank for money. But the future of banks is wallets, it's Web3 wallets. So if I have all these asset tokens uh, in my Web3 wallet, everything is money. So we will enter this digital barter economy 
um, where it doesn't matter which type of tokens I use for my payment. Yeah. What is the time frame? What do you think? When when are we going to enter that time? I, we have, uh, and I think that was one of your questions you sent me, and I think this is a good good ending, right, uh, for probably this interview. So there, this is what I'm saying is 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 quite. Uh, it's obviously we're not there yet, but we're not too far away either. Um, it depends. We have a few bottle. Uh, we have a few. Um, uh, how do you say hurdles? One is wallet usability. Wallets are still need much better usability. It's, they're getting better, like from management of your private keys to uh, multi-token uh, capability. But we're not there yet, not by far. Um, regulation is another bottleneck. We have countries like the USA saying like, non-custodial wallets. Like what is this? Are, are they are trying to crack down on so-called non-custodial wallets. That's the whole point we created Bitcoin to have self-hosted, you know, assets. And now they're calling it non-custodial because they want to go, because I assume they see the danger in people being autonomous in their asset management, right? Um, I mean, it's also dangerous because people, many people are losing money, you know, because of the pri poor private key you know, solutions. But uh, there might be other motivations behind that kind of legislation. So legislation is a bottleneck. A wallet usability is a bottleneck. A legislation not only of wallets, but also of, you know, um, you know, the use case of fractional um, ownership tokens of real estate is is possible already today in, in uh, from a technical perspective, but not from a regulatory perspective. Uh, and it's not possible either from a network effects perspective, because in order to have that, you need everyone uh, along the value chain in the, in the real estate industry to be, you know, running their systems on distributed ledgers and having uh, wallets that are regulatory compliant, blah, blah, blah. So it's a, it's, it's still a legal and network effect question. But once we're there and it depends on the type of industry, I think five, six years, that will be a very interesting time. One of the big, I think, um, uh, Uh, how to say, accelerators of this token economy will be central bank digital currencies. Um, so central banks today are looking into tokenizing their centralized currencies, their central bank currencies. So it would be kind of, um, and uh, China has already has the digital renminbi. Yeah? And, um, and uh, even the Eurozone is looking into a CBDC and Lagarde said that within five years, <laughs> we will have a central bank digital currency. So I don't understand the level of bureaucracy. So five years, okay, five years is, I, I have to laugh at this innovation cycle. Uh, but um, if you think once countries have a central bank digital currency, what does that mean? Everyone has a Web3 wallet. And once everyone has a Web3 wallet, the infrastructure is there um, to not only manage CBDCs, but also trade other types of tokens in your wallet, right? This is why central banks were freaking out when three, two years ago, 
um, a Facebook and the consortium around Facebook announced Libra because they wanted to create the Calibra wallet with which you could create, uh, not only manage the Libra token, which was supposed to be a stable token, right? But I mean, uh, uh, they would have become the, the world's biggest bank. And now a short break for the fact of the week presented by local bitcoins. Bitcoin transactions can't be reversed. Once the funds have been sent to a different Bitcoin address, you can't get your money back. This is the trade-off of being in control of your own finances. Bitcoin's non-reversible aspect means that you always have to check the payment details carefully before you are sending a Bitcoin transaction. For merchants accepting Bitcoin, this aspect of irreversibility is a blessing. As soon as the Bitcoin payment is made, the merchant can fulfill the order without having to worry about a refund or chargeback. Bitcoin transactions are settled much faster than traditional methods of payment, which in the long run benefits both the buyer and the seller. Thanks to local Bitcoins for the fact of the week. Okay, so... Uh, another aspect is uh, the fact that we have uh, central bank digital currencies. More and more governments are looking into tokenizing their central bank money. And this is referred to as central bank digital currency, uh, which would basically be another type of central bank money next to cash, bank money, and other types of long-term um, kind of um, a bank money. And um, so it would be the tokenized version of a dollar or a euro or a renminbi. Um, and um, that would be settled by some type of distributed ledger, most likely not a public blockchain network, but a kind of a, a distributed ledger that is uh, settled by different government nodes or government entities or semi-private entities or semi-public entities. Um, uh, but I think that once uh, we have more and more governments actually implementing a tokenized version of their currencies, these governments also need to issue wallets or wallet software that can, where you can have identity-based systems um, uh, and uh, that identify you or where you can actually Uh, manage your um, uh, money, and uh, this is uh, this could be interesting if a government opens this kind of wallet infrastructure to settling other token types. This could spur the token economy. However, I think that some governments might um, choose to. Uh, try to prohibit settling other tokens. Um, this will be an interesting thing to see how they implement their CBDCs and with which wallet you will settle it. But yeah, I think this will spur the token economy uh, in general. Mm -hmm. And uh, which countries do you think uh, will be the next to have a CBDC after China? Mm. Um, there is a it's it's hard to say right um uh, i don't know i haven't been too much focusing on cbdcs um lately um so i i think i'm probably not the best person to 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 ask but there is what i can say is that there is a website somebody 
or a group of people or institutions created a website called cbdctracker.org. And uh, it's like a, it's an online tool with which you can see which countries are at which stage of thinking about or implementing central bank digital currencies. Um, and it's a color-coded world map, uh, which you can click on and then you have more information. So if you're interested in that topic, um, look at uh, A, what the... Uh, IMF, the World Bank, but the Bank for International Settlement has written about that. Also, the ECB has many papers and have a look at this uh, CBDC tracker. There we, you will get much more information. Okay, thank you. And uh, yeah, Sherman, thank you very much for this interesting uh, talk about tokens and token economy. Can you tell us, please, um, where people can find you and follow your work if they want to know more about your work? Okay, yeah, so if you want to follow me, uh, yeah, my uh, name, um, uh, you can follow me on any social media, Twitter, LinkedIn, um, um, uh, if you want to follow me personally on Medium, uh, so just enter my name, you will find me. Uh, I, I regularly publish stuff on Medium, I pre-publish a lot of the things, even of my next book, currently working on my next book and I pre-publish a lot of the chapters of my next book already now uh, and yeah you can keep in touch over these three channels okay great thank you very much it was a pleasure to have you again on my show and have a good day thank you thank you for inviting me and yeah looking forward to the next time maybe yeah. <laughs> have a nice day you too Ciao. bye bye Thanks so much for joining the Anita Posh Show today to learn more about Bitcoin. You can find the show notes for this conversation on anita.link slash show. If you want to get the best stories in Bitcoin from my point of view in your mailbox, go to anita.link slash weekly and subscribe. And if you have a question or just want to send me some feedback, drop me a line at hello at anitaposh.com. See you next week when it's time for the Anita Posh Show. Music, start with yes, delicate beats. Content, idea and production, Anita Posh. <laughs>